Well, good morning. It's great to be with you all this morning. Last time we started off with mic troubles and we don't have any weird mic sounds coming through, so that's a great start. Um, my name is Jake. Um, as John mentioned, I'm going to be a deacon starting, I think that starts at the beginning of the year. I don't really know yet, but anyways, it's great to be with you all to um, preach the word this morning. Um, I met up with Pastor Andrew earlier this week to talk about the subject that I'd be talking because we've been, as a church, going through the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and there were three chapters he, he kind of let me choose from, and uh, there were two I was kind of deciding between, and one that I thought he might want me to do, and when I started talking with him, he kind of gave me the option, and, and uh, he kind of looked at me, he was like, you want to speak on Galatians, don't you? I was like, yes, you know me too well. So um, we're going to be talking through the book of Galatians this morning. And before we do that, I just want to pray um, because we can't, um, this is a work of God when we hear the word. And so we need faith to hear. We need God to work in our hearts. So let's ask him to come before we get started. Lord, thank you so much for this time. I pray that you would come, Lord, that you would bring faith to our hearts, whether for the first time or for the, th the thousandth time, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see your affection for us, your kindness to us, your love and your grace, and what you've done for us in Christ. Um, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by um, reading from a little, uh, the introduction to the chapter that Dane Ortland wrote. Um, it starts this way. He says this, there are two ways to live the Christian life. You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live for the smile of God or from it for a new identity as a son or daughter of God or from it, for your union with Christ or from it, the battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. That is, getting up each morning and replacing your natural orphan mindset with a mindset of full and free adoption into the family of God through the work of Christ, your older brother who loved you and gave himself for you out of the overflowing fullness of his gracious heart. So this morning, I want to take a look at this subject of the Christian life by taking a look at the book of Galatians. We're going to take it in three points. Any great sermon has three points, right? So it makes it easy for, I'm a simple person, so we like simple points. So first one is beginning by faith. Second one is continuing by faith. And the third one is our loving Savior. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians. We're going to start in chapter two. And we're going to, I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. It says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Um, to give you some background into the context which Paul is writing this book to the Galatians, there were some false teachers that had infiltrated that church in Galatia. And Paul himself had preached the gospel there to them before this. He had preached to them Christ crucified, that Jesus, the only Son of God, had come to this earth. He had lived a perfect life. He had died the death we should have died. He rose again three days later and is now at the right hand of God, interceding for his children. And he did this because God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, and we are sinful as humans. And we do things that are not right in God's eyes, and we deserve punishment. 
But in God's love for us, he sent Jesus in our place. And so this was the message that Paul had preached to the Galatians. It's what they had believed. It's the message they had received. We call this the gospel. And now these false teachers had come in and were telling him that it wasn't enough just to believe the gospel. It wasn't enough to believe just that Jesus had come for us, but they also needed to get circumcised in order for God to accept them. The main overarching theme of the book of Galatians is, you may have heard of this, it's called the doctrine of justification by faith alone, which it simply means the teaching about the way by which we are declared righteous by God. It's the way that we can know, we can know, we can be certain that we have been accepted by God forgiven by him, made into his child, brought into his family. We are saved not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. In verse 16, Paul says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the major point, the major doctrine that separates Christianity from all other religions. Take your pick. I'm sure you could think of a few. Um, They all give us instructions on ways that we can get on God's side, ways that we can go to heaven when we die, ways that um, God will give us good gifts here on earth. Um, But, well, the way that in which the, the Galatians were trying to get God to accept them was by what Paul calls here, works of the law. For them, it specifically meant following the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, and traditions that were laid out in the Old Testament, eating certain foods, performing certain ceremonies, like circumcision. It's what um, they were uh, told to do by God in the Old Testament. And it doesn't take a whole lot to see that this is, it's emblematic of the way the whole world is trying to justify themselves. And whether that be to God or to others or to ourselves, it's natural to our hearts. Um, It's been natural since the beginning. I'm sure you know the story um, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, When Adam and Eve had sinned against God by eating of the fruit, do you remember what they did immediately following that? What did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. Why? Because they were naked, right? Have you ever had one of those dreams, you know, where you, you go to school in your dream and you're naked and you're terrified and you're like, you have to stand up and give a speech and you realize you're not wearing any clothes or you have to walk through Walmart and you're, you're not wearing any clothes. Terrifying, right? You wake up and you're like, oh my goodness. And uh, so you can imagine what Adam and Eve felt like after they had sinned. They were ashamed. They felt guilty. They felt uncovered right? But they were naked even before this, right? Before they had sinned, they were naked. So it wasn't just that they were naked. Augustine, who we've been quoting old dead theologians here, so I had to quote one. He explains that they did this, they covered themselves because they were no longer clothed in God's love and acceptance of them, which was given freely by God. So they sought to do it themselves. They sought to cover themselves If we're honest, we do the same thing in our own lives, not just with clothing, but we use other means to make ourselves feel worthy or acceptable to others and to ourselves. We try to get good grades as a student to prove ourselves to our peers or our parents. 
Um, we try to get a good job to prove ourselves to the people we know, to prove that we're a good f- father as someone who can provide for their family. We try to prove ourselves as a good parent, right? Because then my life will really mean something if I'm a good parent. And those are all wonderful things, right? We would all affirm being a good parent, being a good, f- a good mother or father, a good student. We should work hard, of course. But when we use those things to make ourselves feel worthy, it doesn't work. It does not work. It's never enough. And this is at the core of who we are. Is we, we desperately want to try to prove ourselves to others. And I think the book of Galatians teaches us we don't, only, we don't only do it with others, right? We do it with God. Yes, we as a church, we have, probably have it on our website, we would affirm that we are saved by grace through faith. We would all, um, as good Protestants, right, we would all affirm that. Um, but we often walk through life with this thought or feeling that if only I were doing this, if only I were doing X, if only I would take that next step, then God would really be on my side. And uh, some of us maybe even grew up in um, churches or have been a part of churches that really taught this line of thinking, whether on purpose or not on purpose, that yes, you can become a Christian by placing your faith in, in Christ, but it's not really until, it's not really complete, right? God is not really you know, what they may not have, someone may not have said that to you, but we all have this deep down in ourselves. And uh, for the church of Galatia, they were being told that one thing was circumcision. And for us, it could be any number of things that we're called to do as Christians. And the line of thinking, it goes like this. And I've heard John Piper explain it this way. If we believe that we are 99% forgiven in Jesus, but we try to make up that 1% with something else, whether it's circumcision in the Old Testament, their laws that they followed, but it it can even be going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, serving our community, whatever it might be. If we try to make up that 1% with God, with any of those things, we will live our whole lives trying to get God to accept us based on what we're doing rather than what Jesus has done for me. Can we call this line of thinking what it is? It is a lie from the pit of hell. Do you remember what Jesus said right before he died on the cross? He said, it is finished. What he meant was that the work of salvation was finished on our behalf so that it would, if we would simply receive it for ourselves, if we would say to God, accept me because of what Jesus has done, he would forgive and declare us righteous in that moment. Not because of something I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he sums it up really well in his preface on this book, Galatians, one of his most famous writings. He says this, you can follow along, I think we'll have it on the screens. Um, This most excellent righteousness, that of faith, is passive. We do nothing in the matter. We give nothing to God but simply receive and allow someone else to work in us. Nothing comforts our conscience so firmly as this passive righteousness. When I see a person who is bruised enough, already being oppressed with the law, terrified with sin, thirsting for comfort, it's time for me to remove the law and act of righteousness from his sight and set before him by the gospel, the Christian and passive righteousness. So then, do we do nothing to obtain this righteousness? No, nothing at all. Perfect righteousness is to do nothing 
to hear nothing, to know nothing of the law or of works, but to know and believe only that Christ has gone to the Father and is no longer visible, that he sits in heaven at the right hand of his Father, not as a judge, but is made by God our wisdom, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In short, that he is our high priest and treating for us and reigning over us and in us by grace. The church is founded upon and consists in this doctrine alone. So our righteousness before God is passive in that Jesus has claimed all of our salvation for us. He's paid for our salvation and we are declared righteous the moment we look to him in faith. So that's point one. We begin by faith. Um, Point two, moving on. So point two is continuing by faith. Continuing by faith. We're gonna go here to Galatians chapter three, starting at the beginning of the chapter in verse one. It says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So not only, we see here that Paul is trying to make the point, we are not only saved by looking to Christ, but we also live the whole of the Christian life by looking to Christ. Scripture teaches us that when we become Christians, when we put faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us as a companion, as a seal, as a promise that we are children of God. And the Holy Spirit comforts us. He convicts us. He guides us. He leads us. What the Galatians were believing was that maybe in the beginning we are saved by God's grace. Maybe we have some semblance of the Spirit in us. But to get the Spirit to really start working, to really get God to work on our behalf, we've got to put some works into it. We've got to do something. What the Galatians were believing was, um, that's, well, that's what they were believing, that they had to put works into it. In verse 3, Paul asked this, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's a rhetorical question, right, to which it has an obvious answer, which is what? No, you can't. In Romans 8, 7, it says this, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Dane Ortland he explains in this um, chapter, he says, as Christians, one of our deepest tendencies is to think that our obedience that our good works somehow increase the love that God has for us. It's one of our, it's natural to us to think that way. The problem is that once we accept this way of thinking that, uh, that we totally, once we accept this way of thinking that we can earn God's acceptance in some way, we totally destroy the path that God has laid out for us to know him. Totally destroyed it. And because we can only know him by his grace. In Galatians 3.10, it says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So if we add anything to the gospel of grace, we forfeit all of it. To add anything to it is to throw all of it away. That's why Paul calls the Galatians foolish. 
because they were throwing away the very thing that had given them freedom. God requires a perfect sacrifice for our sin, a perfect sacrifice. So to take up any part of the law is to attempt to pay for all of my sin, which is impossible to do. That's why Jesus has to come in our place. Only Jesus could satisfy the perfect requirements of God's law. Only he could do it. Ortland, he uses a really helpful illustration to get this point, of cro- a point across. He puts it in the context of a family. He says this, picture a 12-year-old boy growing up in a healthy, loving home, uh, in a loving family. As he matures through no fault of his parents, he finds himself trying to figure out how to really assure himself a place in the family. One week, he tries to create a new birth certificate for himself. The next week, he determines to spend all his extra time scrubbing the kitchen clean. The following week, he determines to do all he can to imitate his dad. One day, his parents question his strange behavior. I'm just doing all I can to secure my place in the family, guys. How would his father respond? Calm yourself, my dear son. There's nothing you could possibly do to earn your place among us You are our son, period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family, and you cannot do anything now to get out of our family. Love your life knowing your sonship is settled and irreversible. Um, John just mentioned, I just myself had a son, Thaddeus. He's about two months old now, and we love him. He's wonderful. it It would grieve me if one day he came to me and he thought for some reason he didn't have my love and my acceptance as my son um, until he did a certain something, right? If you're a parent, I'm sure you understand that. Um, you would never want your child to, to think that way. Do you see the Father, God the Father's love for us in this? This is the way that God sees us. There is nothing that we could ever do to prove ourselves to him. Our whole lives as Christians are a gift given to us freely by God himself. We simply look to him in faith. That's how a promise works, right? When someone promises you something, what do you do to earn a promise? Nothing. You trust it, right? Remember Abraham in the Old Testament, God promised to give Abraham um, a child, What did Abraham have to do? He just had to believe what God had promised. Um, Think about what a gift is. Um, Christmas is coming up. Think of some of the best gifts you've ever received. Um, I I, uh, helped lead a a young adults group in last year. We, uh, right around Christmas, we were talking about what are some of your favorite gifts that you've ever received, just as sort of a get to know you kind of thing. And um, I think there were three or four other guys in the group, and they all said dirt bikes. And I'm like, I'm really in the South right now. Everybody got dirt bikes. Mine was like an iPod classic, you know. And, um, but just think about, do you have to do anything to earn a gift? No. Nothing. There isn't anything you do to earn it. You simply take it freely. And in fact, once you attempt to do something to earn a gift, it's no longer a gift, It's something that you've tried to earn. It's like your paycheck at work. Think about your paycheck at work. You don't go to, when you go to pick up your paycheck, or I'm sure you get a direct deposit now, um, you don't think, oh my gosh. It's not like you're surprised, like, wow, what a great gift. You know, you say, yeah, I earned that. You know, I put my 40 weeks in and and, uh, 
I knew I was going to get paid, and I should. I earned it. That is not the gospel. That's not how, the, how God's grace works. It is given freely to us. And this is the way that the Bible teaches us not only how our lives begin as Christians, but it's how it continues. Our performance throughout our Christian lives could never change it. So that's point two. Point three, the final point, um, the loving Savior. If you have your Bibles here, we're going to be in chapter two, verse 20, one of the most famous verses, especially in the book of Galatians. Um, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like I said, it's one of the most popular verses, probably, especially in the book of Galatians. And it's a very powerful verse about Christ living in Paul. Amazing, right? But I want to take a look at what I think is the root of what Paul is able to say here, and it's this. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, the, the whole gentle and lowly book that we've been going through, the, the main thing we've been trying to get at and that Dane Ortland tries to get at in this book is Christ's heart for us, his heart for us. And so this is one of the most amazing concepts, right? Because on the one hand, we know God died for the whole world. The Bible says that, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But on the other hand, something deep inside us changes when we see, think about Paul, think about how his life totally changed. Something changes in us when we see that the God of the universe sent his son for me, that Jesus loves me, that he accepts me, that he came for me, that he died for me, that he rose for me, that he intercedes for me. He chose me. It changes everything. Not only when you first become a Christian, but every day you look to him and it's, you're amazed because you see his love for me. This morning, I've been talking a lot about faith. So let's take a look at the verse again because Paul mentions faith there. He says, Paul says the life he now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God. So that's Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. So that is what our faith is. It looks to Jesus, our Savior and our friend. And it sees, that Jesus, it sees Jesus looking back at me with love, a sacrificial love that gave himself for me personally. When we stop looking to ourselves and our sin and our situations and all the things I feel like God is demanding me to do, and we look to our Savior who loved me, it changes everything. Um, there's this song that I love. It's by a group you may have heard of. It's um, Maverick City Music, and the song's called uh, Most Beautiful slash So in Love. And there's this part in the song that goes like this. I won't sing it, uh, but it says this. With just one look, everything changes. I'm captivated. I'll never be the same. And that repeats. He repeats that part a little while, but he, after a while, he flips it, and the singer does, and he says, with just one look, on Calvary, you looked at me. On Calvary, you looked at me. On Calvary, you looked at me with just one look. You're not the only one looking, but he says, I am looking too. 
Would you simply look to Jesus this morning? Would you see him looking back at you with affection, with kindness and love and a heart for you? This is what happened for me in my conversion. Last time I, I spoke, I talked a little bit about this. I grew up in church and I was always concerned with What's the thing that I'm not doing that I need to be doing for God? You know, what's the next thing? Is it joining a group? Is it I need to, you know, be on the serve team, do my, you know, help the community in whatever way? And um, I was so concerned about doing this and that for God, and I was so insecure of his love for me, his acceptance of me in Christ, and it caused me to live out of a place of fear of his rejection rather than an assurance that he would never leave me, that he was for me. And I can remember a day when I finally realized that it's simply by faith in Christ, by looking to him that I'm saved. And I finally saw that he loved me and gave himself for me. And this is an ongoing battle for me. Every day, we we look to him, we fight to look for him. We ask God, please help me to see you. Help me to see your love for me. You see, Jesus he sees our need. Sometimes we can even be tempted to think that Jesus died for all those sins in the past, right? Before we became a Christian. And now that we're Christians, we sort of have to make up for all the ones that we commit now. And uh, that's a lie. That is an absolute lie. Jesus died for all of our sins that we will commit, that we have committed, that we will commit in the future. And those sins are actually the thing that draws him to us. He is drawn to us because he sees our need. He knows that without him, we, we can't do it on our own. He sees that. He knows it. He sees our need. When we see this gracious love that Christ has for us, our hearts start to change naturally. It starts to change organically because now we want to serve God. We don't do it just because we feel like we have to or else God won't be on our side, but we do it because of the great love with, with which he has for us. We see Jesus' friendship for us. Remember in John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you uh, servants, I call you friends. I heard a, a pastor by the name of Jack Deere, he's a former pastor, explain this recently. And uh, think about a servant-master relationship, a servant serves their master out of obligation, right? But what about a friend? Do you serve a friend because you have to? Or do you do, do you do things for a friend because you want to? It's for the relationship. You don't serve a friend because you have to. That's not true friendship. True friendship is to, to look at your friend in love and say, I would do anything for you. The life that we live for Christ is out of a heart that desires to serve him. Church, I long for us to live this way. Because if we would simply see the radical love that Jesus has for us, it would change everything. No longer would we live legalistically. No longer would we live Christian lives that are duty-driven. We would live for him because we want to, because we love him. There's nothing else we would rather do. It's what we desire most because we look at our Savior and we say, look at this freedom I have been brought into. So that's what I'm calling us to. That's my practical point this morning. Would you look to Jesus this morning, to his love for you, to his kindness for you? And I think if some of us are honest, we would admit, yes, that's the way I've been living the Christian life 
that's, that it's all down to me, that there's something I'm not doing, that if I really started doing this, then God would really be happy to have me on his team. And one thing I really, that can be a temptation, especially in the Christian circles that we live in, is uh, so you can recognize, okay, yes, I've been living that way. I've been sort of trying to get God on my side through the things that I do. And then you say, okay, yes, I'm gonna decide. I'm not gonna live that way anymore. I'm really gonna white knuckle it. I'm really gonna try really hard. But don't you see the point I'm really trying to get across is that um, Christianity is not just a decision that you make, but it's that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that he sees me, that I'm totally free and accepted in his eyes because of what he has done for me. Don't you see, he is the one who changes us. He changes us. So would you look to him this morning, whether for the first time or whether for the thousandth time this morning, would you look to him again, who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Would you look to him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for your word, for the book of Galatians, for its amazing truth, the freedom that you've given us in Christ. Um, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to see your affection for us, your kindness to us. Would you change us from one degree of glory to the next? Would you tear down all of the structures that we've built in our heart, all the reasons why we try and tell you or others that we are worthy because we're not, but you are. And you make us into something beautiful. So I pray that you would come and do that this morning. You'd come and change our hearts, that you would show us again that you love us and that you are for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.